Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
רק אתה קדוש ברוך הוא, אחד מי יודע, אחד אני יודע, אחד מי יודע, אני יודע. אחד מי יודע, אחד אני יודע, אחד מי יודע, אני יודע. Thank <laughs> you. 
Oh, 
Yismach Moshe from DJ Fabreng, heard Baruch Levine and Odcha, Avi Kraus and Ani Odea, Rakata, done by Micha Gammerman. Shia Berka with a brand new Vihisha Amdan, of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this 31st day of March. Day number nine in the month of Nisan. The year is 5783, Tafshin Pei Gimel. It is Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav. It's Erev Shabbos HaGadol. Mazel Tov to Yoshua Siegel. It's Erev Shabbos the Ufruf. Candle lighting in New York, 659. Candle lighting in New York, 659. Make sure you know when things start where you are. For example, in Jerusalem, where we will be, candle lighting is 622. But again, candle lighting in New York, 659. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Hatzlacharabah to those who are starting Masecha Sota today after having completed Meseches Nazir, or maybe waiting a few days till they complete Meseches Nazir. Uh, but again, Hatzlacha Rabbah, those who've begun Meseches Sota and the Daf Yomi schedule uh, from all of us here at JM in the AM. Well, it's a Friday morning broadcast. That means a few things. Number one, we will be uh, conducting a weekly update. Please, God. Hopefully, Malcolm Holmline and I will be able to rendezvous over the telephone and conduct an international weekly update. That'll happen at about 7.40 a.m. Eastern time right here at JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg with words about uh, Parshas Tzav and Shabbos HaGadol coming up after 7 o'clock. Rabbi Yudin with what can be considered a Shabbos HaGadol drusha coming up at about 8.15. And um, on our network schedule today at 10 o'clock, the Arab Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Erev Shabbos Music Mix all day long, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And uh, that'll wrap up our Friday broadcast with the final hour at about 6 p.m. Eastern Time tonight, before candlelighting time. Um, Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami tomorrow night. Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday, and we march closer and closer and further and further to the holiday of Pesach. We get very close in the next couple of days because Pesach begins Wednesday night. And we hope to be with you in one way, shape, or form over the next few mornings before we get to the big holiday. And um, and uh, what was I going to say? And those of you out there who are getting ready in earnest 
for the big holiday, spending some time cleaning the house, cleaning the car, shopping for Pesach. There ain't no better soundtrack for an era of Pesach and the days leading up to Pesach than us right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. So keep us on no matter where you are, in your car, in your home, wherever it might be. Uh, just keep us on, keep us going. Uh, so that's the story on this era of Shabbos. So again, Harry Rothenberg, Rabbi Yudin coming up, Malcolm Holmline with the weekly update. We'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock, and then you'll have a full day of an incredible era of Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, era of Shabbos music mix, final hour, all brought to you by the wonderful people at the Kedem. And uh, then we'll move on to a wonderful, please God, Shabbos Agadol, Ofruf Shabbos, Mazaltov going out to the Siegel and Pilachowski families from all of us here at JM in the AM. All right, uh, where to next, you might ask? How about this one from Eitan Katz? It's Erev Shabbos Agadol. You're listening to JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Quite a selection, huh? Yeah. The Moshav Band with those three. You heard uh, Mizmar Shiru done by uh, the Moshav Band, L'Chad and of course with Shamru. Before that, Eitan Katz with Shalom Aleichem, Yismach Moshe from DJ Fabring. And here we are on an Arab Shabbos HaGadol at J.M. in the A.M. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing fine and dandy as we get set for a weekly update about one hour from now with Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Rabbi Yudin and Harry Rothenberg will address us regarding Shabbos HaGadol and Parshas Tzav. And uh, we'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock and then get started with a whole full day of amazing and incredible selections, including Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, our Arab Shabbos music mix and final hour, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's all coming up. Candlelighting in New York, 659. Again, candlelighting in New York, 659. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Mazel Tov to Yoshua Siegel. Big Ufer of Shabbos in the uh, holy city of Jerusalem. 
Very much looking forward to it. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is our schedule for next week. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are of Pesach. And then Cholamoid, uh, of course, Monday, Tuesday, and then the Friday uh, after um, the Chag, which we call in Chutzlar, it's Isru Chag. It's a regular Friday here in Israel. But in Chutzlar, it's that is our Isru Chag. JM and the AM Friday morning broadcast. A big thank you to all of our incredible panelists yesterday who joined us for the OU's Pesach Products Program. A big shout-out to Ronnie and Larry Birnbaum, Jay Drugs, and the chain of incredible drug stores around the Brooklyn area. My thanks to Rabbi Schoenfeld, Rabbi Gersten, and, of course, Rabbi Grumberg from the OU. It was amazing to get their perspective on things. And a big thank you to all of you for participating. We got, as is the case every single year, thank God, tremendous reaction to the Pesach Products Program. And I hope that it uh, started to not only give people the information they needed, I hope it started to get you into the Pesach mood. Pesach begins Wednesday night. It's Shabbos HaGadol. Time to get into the Pesach mood as we get ready for the Seder beginning on Wednesday night. JM and the AM. We've got plenty more coming up, including this one, the Pesach Up Mix at JM and the AM. Der Himmel in der Erde. 
Vego alti Velo kakti Velo čejsi Vec alti Vego alti Velo kakti
with Yaakov Shweki here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Hine Elokeinu. Pesach Upmix done by DJ Fabreng here at the JM in the AM. To our news from Israel coming up and a whole bunch of stuff, obviously, on a Friday. We've got both Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin to speak about Parshas Tzav and Shabbos HaGadol. Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, scheduled to join us at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time with a weekly update. Our final one before Pesach. Have that for you coming up. Listener Tikva reminds us that Eyal Yehuda Adler, Eyal Yehuda Adler is celebrating his seventh birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Yom Huledet Sameach, to Eyal Yehuda from all of us here at JM in the AM. There you go. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Malcolm Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. My thanks to the panelists from yesterday. Always exciting to do the Pesach Products program. Some people discovered it for the first time and were telling me how much they enjoyed it. <laughs> they enjoyed it almost as much as I did, frankly. <laughs> I thank everybody who tuned in and who sent in questions and participated in that manner with us 
here at JM in the AM. Our friends at A&H, they are one of the best pieces of advice that I could give as we get closer and closer to Pesach. They'll be Erev Pesach. There'll be Cholomoe days. There'll be Pesach Yuntiv days itself. A&H has so many delicious meat products that are kosher to Pesach that you could literally feed your family with meals of A&H and feed your family with snacks of A&H. There'll be some long afternoons. Erev Pesach's a long afternoon. Some of the Cholomoe days are long afternoons. Some of the Yuntiv days are long afternoons. And the people in your, your family want something delicious, something really, really good. So our A&H line... Our friends at A&H have their display at so many of the great kosher supermarkets in our area, um, and that's how we're suggesting at this point, this close to Yunta, if you get the A&H products, just find the display in the kosher supermarket section, or I should say the provisions and meat section of your kosher supermarket, and enjoy A&H. 10% discount with promo code RADIO when you go to the A&H website, which is kosherdogs.net. Again, kosherdogs.net. Uh, do what we always say. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did, and they'll come in very handy for this upcoming yunt of that, I can guarantee you. Our friends at Arts Grow have some incredible Haggadahs. It's time to order them. It is now Friday. You want them in your hand by Wednesday? I would suggest you hop to it. Start ordering from artsgrow.com. Use promo code RADIO for your major discount and free shipping. Anything you order from artsgrow.com, make sure to use promo code radio we had the opportunity the other day to speak to rabbi gladstein about his brand new haggadah there are so many amazing titles for pesach for yontif for cholamoid uh the haggadahs of course the machzorim there's so many amazing titles for this time of year just go to artscroll.com and start searching you will find so many great items that you need for you and your family again it's artscroll.com artscroll.com make sure to use promo code radio for your free shipping and your major discount go to artscroll.com and enjoy one of the great chesed campaigns or i should say one of the great components of our chesed campaign before pesach is yad ezra v'shulamit they are distributing over fifty-five thousand food baskets in israel they are distributing god knows how many gift cards to supermarkets uh here in israel in order to help the impoverished families go to yad ezra.net slash siegel yad ezra e-z-r-a dot net slash siegel make their campaign for this Pesach 5783, as robust as possible as they try to feed as many of the hungry children and families in Israel before the holiday. Again, yadezra.net slash Siegel. Participate and do what you can to help the poor of Israel. And our friends at uh, New Jersey NCSY, well, you know what's going on there. Our friends at New Jersey NCSY, not only are they heading down to Six Flags Sunday Monday and Tuesday, Cholomoy, with a great concert by Simcha Liner and Maishi Tischler on Monday. Not only are they going down for three days, and of course, Riverdale Kosher Market with Kosher Pesach Food Sunday and Monday. All that is included in the incredible trip down to Six Flags. Go to ncsygreatadventure.com, ncsygreatadventure.com. But also remember, for $53 each, you can send a teen, a child, someone from a family that cannot afford to be at a great Cholomoy program to Six Flags to enjoy. $53, buy one ticket, four tickets, ten tickets, whatever you can. NCSYGreatAventure.com, NCSYGreatAventure.com. At the very top, you'll see it says Donate Tickets. And this has been a staple of our Chesed campaign every single year. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday era of Shabbos next. Boker Tov from Jamin. 
במשמרות המהפכה של איראן מאשימים, קצין איראני שמשמש יועץ צבאי של משמרות המהפכה נהרג הלילה במהלך תקיפה המיוחסת לישראל בפאתי דמשק. משמרות המהפכה האשימו את ישראל בהריגתו ואיימו להגיב במילים המשטר הציוני הפושע ללא ספק יקבל תגובה על הפשע הזה. מוקדם יותר היום דובר משרד החוץ של איראן גינה בחריפות את התקיפות הישראליות בסוריה ואמר כי הקהילה הבינלאומית חייבת להגיב עליהן. על פי הדיווחים בסוריה, בתקיפה באזור דמשק הותקפו מתקנים צבאיים של חיזבאללה ושל המיליציות הפרו-איראניות. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו לענייני צבא וביטחון דורון קדוש. יותר ממאה אלף מתפללים מוסלמים השתתפו היום בתפילת הצהריים במסגד אל-אקצא. במשטרה נערכו בכוחות מתוגברים עם יותר מאלפיים שוטרים שהתפרסו ברחבי הבירה ובמעברים. במשטרה מציינים כי חלה התגברות במאמצי ההסתה של ארגוני טרור ברשת המפרסמים כזבים הכוללים סכנה שלא קיימת למקומות הקדושים. ידיעה שהעבירה כתבתנו בבירה נועה ברנס. בתום הערכת מצב במערכת הביטחון החליטו להטיל סגר כללי על יהודה ושומרון ועל המעברים ברצועת עזה במהלך חג הפסח. הסגל, הסגר יוטל גם בסוף השבוע של חול המועד, למעט ביום שישי לצורך כניסת פלסטינים להר הבית בהתאם למחוות שאושרו לרמדאן. המעברים ייפתחו מחדש בלילה שבין שבת לראשון, בכפוף להערכת מצב, ייסגרו שוב בשלישי אחר הצהריים. על רקע הניסיון להדיחו, מנכ"ל רכבת ישראל מיכאל מייקסנר אישר לעצור את עבודות הרכבת בשתי השבתות הקרובות, שבת הגדול ושבת חול המועד. כתבתנו לענייני תחבורה הילי קרן מוסרת כי בשבוע הבא צפוי להיפתח הליך ההדחה של מייקסנר מתפקיד המנכ״ל, מהלך שמובילים שרת התחבורה מירי רגב ויושב ראש מועצת המנהלים של הרכבת. צעיר בן 17 נפצע באורח בינוני לאחר שככל הנראה הוקש על ידי נחש. הצעיר הובא לחבירה עם צוותי מגן דוד אדום בצומת אבו טולול בנגב ומשם פונה לבית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית וקר מהרגיל לעונה. בשבת הטמפרטורות תעלנה במקצת ומגמת ההתחממות תימשך גם בתחילת השבוע. אלה החדשות. Shine. 
Ah, what a way to go into a Shabbos with that selection. JM and the AM, I'm in Jerusalem. You are wherever you are around the world, and I thank you for tuning in. Um, Candlelighting in New York. Oh, before Gershon, by the way, was Diaspora with Altira. Uh, Candlelighting in New York, 659. 659 Candlelighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 659. Candlelighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. So that you'd light candles at the appropriate time. Rabbi Yudin coming up next hour. Uh, Malcolm Honeline this hour will be um, discussing the news of the last couple of weeks. Anxious to get a weekly update on the air on this Erev Shabbos Agudel. So we'll have that for you coming up. Um, Harry Rothenberg's words about Shabbos Agudel, Parshas Tzav, dedicated for a Rufu Shlema, for Ruchama Chana, Etel Bas Chava, Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Harry Rothenberg, Parshas Tzav, Shabbos HaGadol, here at JM in the AM. In this week's Torah portion, we're still speaking about sacrifices, Carbonos. It's very difficult for us to relate to that. It's tough for us to imagine heading to the Holy Temple, carrying or leading along an animal and then giving it to the priest so that he could sacrifice it for us. But we have to relate to it. Because the Torah is a living document. And every scene, every law speaks to us today. 
not just to our ancestors thousands of years ago. So how do we relate to sacrifices? To begin, we have to realize that the English word sacrifice is a terrible translation for the Hebrew word carbon. Sacrifice implies that we're giving something to God and that we're losing something. But the truth is that God doesn't need anything from us and we're not losing, we're gaining. It's addition by subtraction. We're giving up our animal sides. We're sanctifying our desires by reminding ourselves not to indulge our animal instincts. And by doing that, we come closer to God. Without that nearness, we're like beasts, wandering around, chasing our bodily desires without realizing our true calling. But instead, when we give up our animal sides and we get close to God, we realize that that is the only path to true, lasting happiness. Not the size of our bank accounts, not the number of friends that we have. When we bring a sacrifice, we can only use an animal that comes from cattle or from a flock, from sheep or from goats. Animals that can, in some sense, coexist with human beings. We can't bring a sacrifice using a wild animal because a wild animal can't represent our personality, not even our animal side, because we know that our animal side can be tamed, can be refined, can be subjugated to serve God. We also can't bring an animal that's ever been involved in bestiality or idolatry or murder because adultery and idolatry and murder are three cardinal human sins. When we bring a sacrifice, we are sanctifying and repairing our relationships with God and with our fellow man. So we can't use an animal that has that particular type of checkered past as a sacrifice. Our sages tell us that there are three ways nowadays that we can engage in activities that approximate the type of nearness that we used to get from sacrifice, from bringing a carbon. The first is prayer. Animals don't set alarm clocks in the morning to wake them up to head out for shacharis for the morning prayers. They don't take a break in the middle of their work day to go to a mincha minion, the afternoon service. And they certainly don't go out at night looking for nine other men to form a marav minion, the evening prayer. The second thing we can do is study Torah. When we study Torah, it's counted as if we're bringing sacrifices. And both of those make sense. Because when we're praying, we're talking to God. And when we're studying Torah, He's speaking to us. Both of those activities bring us closer to God. They give us that nearness to Him. The third thing we can do is that we can gain atonement through our tables. Just as sacrifices used to gain atonement for us. Our tables means when we sit down to eat. When we sit down and we remember to eat like humans, not like animals. Not eating whatever we want, whenever we want to eat it, but making sure it's a kosher animal, slaughtered properly, prepared properly in a kosher oven, separating meat and milk, and not eating to the full extent of our desires, not eating like animals. And when we sit down and realize that we're eating to recharge so that we can serve God, that brings us closer to him. And the animal itself that we're eating, we're taking it from the level of the physical and raising it to the level of the spiritual. So the next time you sit down to eat a nice steak, let that be some food for thought.
You never know who's going to pop in on a live radio show. And my wonderful nephew, Yehuda Siegel, just introduced me to some of the key members of the Israel Defense Forces who are here in the uh, makeshift studio. I should say uh, temporary studio would be much more. What's the word we always use? Not makeshift. What's the word we use? Remote. Our remote studio here in Jerusalem, because the temporary one is in the Nefesh for Nefesh building. The remote one is here uh, on Rehov. Blankety blank. <laughs> the last time we were here, I should say the last week, not not in the last couple of days, but the last period of time we were here, we were on the porch conducting the uh, end of our fundraiser uh, in December. But the weather has not cooperated, so the um, the seagulls have been extremely generous, extremely generous with their time, with their space, with their flexibility, and with their patience. Extremely generous. Let us broadcast from here, uh, and that's why we stumbled upon the wonderful Yehuda Seagull who introduced us to these fabulous members of the IDF, who, by the way, you're going to find this hard to believe, those of you in the United States, are fans of the Pittsburgh Penguins and Boston Bruins. How do you like that? So apparently there's some big game coming up that I was completely unaware of. More coming up here at JM and the Don't forget, candlelighting in New York is 6.59. 6.59, your candlelighting time in New York. Those uh, those of you out there in the New York, New Jersey area, keep that in mind. Make sure you know when things start where you are, no matter where you are in this globe. Again, make sure you know when things start where you are. Ten minutes away from Malcolm Holmline, Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us for the weekly update or by Yudin with I think what has to be considered based on what Rummy told me a Shabbos Shuva drusha uh, coming up at about uh, Shabbos HaGadol drusha thank you coming up at about um, 8.15 Eastern time here at the JMM very much looking forward to that and we'll wrap up at 9 o'clock Mark Zamek at 10 o'clock with the Arab Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people like Kedem and plenty more of course here on an Arab Shabbos broadcast Simple as that. Updates from our friends at ShopEichlers.com. Those of you out there who are looking for last-minute shopping, who are looking to um, put together some last-minute shopping spree online before Yuntif, ShopEichlers.com. Again, ShopEichlers.com. They have their antique leather Haggadahs at 10% off. Check it out on the website, ShopEichlers.com. Literally, they have a leather Haggadah category there on the site. You'll find it at shopeichlers.com. Use a promo code radio or promo code leather. Promo code radio or promo code leather, and you'll get 10% off on the antique leather Haggadahs. The um, three-day sale continues on the Shabbos lights, 15% off, again, with promo code light2023 or with promo code radio. That's 15% off. And, of course, as we always remind you, our friends at ShopEichlers.com do have same-day delivery zones. Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, Crown Heights, Staten Island, Queens, Five Towns, Harakaway, Muncie, and the surrounding areas, Monroe, Teaneck, Lakewood, Toms River, Jackson, New Jersey, all available to you uh, as a free same-day delivery zone before Pesach. Again, all the information at ShopEichlers.com, ShopEichlers.com, proud sponsor of ours here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Those of you who have not yet donated to the New Jersey NCSY campaign to provide tickets for Great Adventure, 
to families and children in need who would not be able to afford any type of Cholomoy trip. It's one of our great flagship Chesed projects here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Go to the uh, website, ncsygreatadventure.com, ncsygreatadventure.com. And there on the site, you could donate tickets. You'll see the very top. You could donate tickets. Again, that's ncsygreatadventure.com, ncsygreatadventure.com. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.
Morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Tzav, Erev Shabbos Agadol. We are in Jerusalem, believe it or not. Usually it's the reverse. We often are inspired by Malcolm Holmline, who's in Jerusalem. Today I am in Jerusalem. Candlelighting in New York, 659. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Before that wedding medley, you heard Lipa with Birchas Oreach. As I mentioned to Malcolm, we have a, a little bit more limited time than usual because Rabbi Yudin has prepared a... Uh, a Shabbos Haggadol address, which is going to be coming up in the 8 o'clock hour here at JM in the AM. With that in mind, he is the vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm Honline is with us. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. I'm jealous that you're there and I'm here. Yeah. It's good to talk to you anywhere. I appreciate that, and uh, I wish you were here frankly, because I'd like you to participate in the big simcha, but apparently the Honline family has other plans for Pesach, so we wish you well all the way from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the judicial reform issue has been tabled, so to speak. Uh, Whatever compromise, deal, decisions uh, that were supposedly going to be made are all on hold now. This, of course, announced by the Prime Minister, and it has stem the tide of the protests, the demonstrations, and maybe some of the vitriol that we've gotten used to over the last few weeks. What is your reaction to pausing the judicial reform issue? Well, I think it was a wise decision, uh, necessary, given the, the intensity of the feeling and the disruption of everyday life and the threats and the misrepresentation distortions that were becoming commonplace. Uh, I think that they failed in the beginning to properly create a context and, uh, and explain what was intended uh, and instead created what people felt was a, a locomotive uh, rushing ahead in the Knesset to get, uh, to get this legislation passed. But, you know, it has been a long-held position of left and right, that they needed to have some judicial reform, some way to uh, rein in the, the Supreme Court, which has aggregated it to itself powers over the years, uh, far beyond what was intended, and and far more than, let's say, in the United States. But there, there was no real event where these things were laid out to the people and instead became a rallying point, I think, for many who didn't like the outcome of the election and people who have other grievances 
and the fissures in Israeli society as in any country uh, came to the fore. Uh, you know, and then the foreign interventions, including by the United States government, which uh, many felt was uh, inappropriate. I didn't see the president making comments about the millions in the streets in Paris demonstrating against Macron and his uh, plan or to, to extend the age of retirement. Um, I think that they, you know that we need a calming period where issues can be rightfully addressed where the vitriol gets reduced and people are reminded that, uh, you know, we only have one state. We have to protect it. We have to have a legitimate discussion. I don't think you demean people because they have a different point of view. But on the other hand, you can't have a situation where soldiers, reservists uh, say they're not going to serve. There were people, this is uh, uh, really unprecedented. I think the, and, and, we have to take a step back and have those things as well addressed. Um, a couple of questions. Do you feel that, the, and I know, I'm not really asking for a prediction, I'm asking for a feeling, you know, your, your hand on the pulse of the situation. Do you think that months from now, which is the plan, you know, when, re, when negotiations reopen, do you think there's more of a chance of a calmer type of compromise? You know, this, as you described it, the way this was thrust Onto the you know onto Israeli society onto the electorate you know was was in a was done in a pretty uh, abrupt manner with with this pause with this recess do you think there really can be some type of conclusive compromise months from now? I think that there could be because I think everybody recognizes the the p- political danger to them. You saw the Likud's number dropping. You see the rise of some of the other parties and uh, the splits within the government, but also people's frustration uh, over this. They don't want to see, um, you know, the society disrupted and uh, the threats to the security of Israel as described by people from the government and outside of the government. Uh, but, you know, there is something, I think, remarkable about the fact that you had such a significant turnout uh, both pro and con, and I have to say the right only the uh, the other night turned out many tens of thousands of people, and they did win the election where a lot of these things were presented as plans of the government. Um, but you know the the uh, disruptions in in uh, the life and the strikes and the blocking the highways and all that that occurred. I think people generally want, uh, the majority will want uh, a resolution now. Some of the opposition will say, you know, we got Netanyahu on the ropes, might as well keep him there, because the longer he's, he's fighting, the long, the more he, he loses. Maybe their hope is that they go to a, another election. The Israelis are sick and tired of having all these elections. So that argues for a greater reform. But the... the um, um, you know, the sense is that the moderate force is getting support, and that's within the could within the government and in the opposition that uh, there is some sort of a, a shifting. But the, the expression of of democracy and the fact that you had all these demonstrations without without rioting, without uh, looting, without any of the manifestations we've seen here and elsewhere. Uh, I think is is a remarkable testament, and the fact, to me, the fact that they wave the flag and don't burn the flag, uh, 
yeah. is the reaffirmation of commitment to the state and and that the flag became the symbol of these demonstrations on both sides. Yeah, it's funny you say that because you know where we are and where we're staying. So, of course, we were in the middle of so many demonstrations. And I was expressing to, to people who are here in Israel, it's impossible to tell which side is which because both of them are flying the Israeli flag proudly, which is really amazing. Um, secondly, on the firing of the defense minister. So w- w- was that what eventually gave BB the strength to go to this compromise idea, or I should say this recess idea, or was it, was there so much backlash from this act of firing the defense minister for his statements regarding judicial reform that essentially at that point, Bibi was you know, painted into a corner and had no choice but to come out and say, okay, everyone calm down, we're going to revert to you know, some type of recess here. Well, as far as I know, it's still not finalized that he's fired. There's some people who are saying that he'll be reinstated. There are people who say he's still at the meetings. Um, and um, I don't know that Netanyahu can back down from it. He might want to. He may, want, he may reach some understanding with, uh, with Galant, who has always been a loyal supporter and, you know, is in that wing together, you know, with Dichter, Barkat, and all these people who are not ideologues and who have had a long history and constructive roles in, in many governments. Uh, I think it became a rallying point. I don't think that a lot of the opposition that took to the streets uh, using this as cover uh, were, were big fans of Galantness. So they were, were, were you know, uh, what would have in any other circumstance voted from rallied to him. But I think that it became... Uh, a step too far for some and for others uh, became a point where they could, you know, sort of join the, the opposition, their opposition in defending uh, uh, Galant or opposing Netanyahu for one of his own people. So it's still unclear what his status is now. Yeah, I get that. I was wondering if that did a BB in or if it uh, gave him some type of perception of strength because he was willing to take that risk politically and literally fire. No, I don't think I don't think people saw it as a as a wise move. Or when I was there, I did not hear that even from people in the government, uh, in in the Kazon cabinet, that that expression. It's interesting, you know. Maybe postmortem will find out, but I, I don't think so. Um, all right, so a couple of weeks ago we spoke on, on a Friday, and then, and it's one of the reasons, frankly, that even though we have this distance between us this week and some hecticness, of course, as we prepare for the big simcha, I wanted to make sure to get you on the air because minutes after we left the air, remember I had discussed with you and I had asked the question about Saudi Arabia and how they could never pull the trigger on the Abraham Accord type of relationship. And it always seemed they were on the, on the verge, on the cusp, they were about to do this, about to do that. Israel was, you know, they, they felt it was going to be a close ally of theirs, etc. 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 And a few minutes after we left the air that day, it was announced a diplomatic relations uh, um, uh, agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And now, obviously, this audience for a couple of weeks has wanted to hear your reaction to that. What could you tell us about that deal, that diplomatic arrangement that's been made? Well, I think it's very significant, and, and it's a larger context also. Uh, I think what the Saudis did was largely a response to the perception that America is withdrawing from the region, that they're angry at the United States. They gave the United States conditions for renewal, for uh, establishment relations with Israel, including a, a, a domestic peaceful nuclear program. Uh, and uh, they want the non-NATO status 
to be able to purchase weapons and things that they they feel they need. They did, as you know, spend $37 billion and a new contract with Boeing for aircraft, not, not military aircraft. But they, they feel that they've been slighted uh, by its way of feeling in the UAE and in other countries that I visited, even in the last few weeks where I heard this repeatedly, uh, a sense that, that the U.S. is withdrawing from the region, even with the joint exercises and other things that have uh, taken place. And perception in the Middle East is reality. So that's, I think, a, a major motivating factor. Second, they're showing that they have options, uh, domestic to U.S. and others, the, the, each one has their own agenda. It's not; uh, it's a renewal of relationship, not establishing, because they had him until a couple of years ago. And after the Saudi embassy and consulates were ransacked or attacked by Iranians, they broke the diplomatic relations. The tensions between them, the issues remain. Iran is not giving up its designs on Mecca, Medina, and, and the you know the importance of being the control of the two holy sites. They are Sunni Shiite. Their divide still holds. Uh, what what Iran hopes to get is number one that the Iran Television Network, which is based in Saudi Arabia and has been very effective in criticizing the government, would uh, would stop their broadcasts. They uh, obviously there's some uh, degree of trade or other things that they want, but it, I think that that is not the major agenda. For the Saudis, the big thing is the trying to neutralize the Houthis or stop their attacks on Saudi Arabia, which are funded and armed and aided and abetted by Iran. Uh, there they have a different agenda than, say, the UAE. The UAE wants to see north and south redivided. They want to base it Bab al-Vadab. Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia right now wants them to stop sending drones and attack missiles against their infrastructure, airports, other key sites. They also, as I said, have an agenda with the U.S. They have, um, and and they, I mean, they have very little to gain economically by joining, let's say, the Shanghai Cooperation Council. But I think that that is as significant a move where they are joining an alignment, which is which was created by China with Russia in it, Pakistan, India, the the Central Asian states. Uh, it can be seen as a counter to Western alliances. They're throwing in their lot with them on this, I think, was a very significant manifestation. But they know, bottom line, that their interests don't lie long term with that, but with the West. Uh, a lot depends on what will happen now with these exchange of visits. Right, the president of Iran, will visit Saudi Arabia. The Saudis have accepted an invitation to visit, I guess, the crown prince to visit uh, Iran. And there will be a lot of things going on. This is superficial. The bottom line, the fire between them is going to continue to burn. Those issues have not been done away with. Bahrain, I think, will follow the course and also establish relationships with Iran, even though Iran has designs on destroying the country and it, because it's the gateway to Katif, the oil-rich sector of, of Saudi Arabia, which, has, which is 95% Shiite. Um, UAE, obviously. We also, in all of this, uh, in the fog, missed the, the fact that uh, Assad has reestablished diplomatic relations with UAE, I think with Saudi Arabia, if not done on the way. Um, we're seeing a lot of things happening that are, are of significance. In the same time, you have Erdogan praising Israel, thanking Israel for the field hospital, 
um, which only recently returned and uh, took care of, uh, I think, about 500 people, did many operations, other stuff there. Uh, but he's facing a very tough election on May 14th. Uh, Iran is near collapse economically. We see the dissent amongst the leadership ranks growing all the time, and I'm in touch with people there. I hear it. It's, it's quite remarkable, but not exploited by the U.S. We hear the U.S. may be working on a, a prisoner deal, which would free up money being held by South Korea, billions of dollars that would go to Iraq. This would be a critical mistake that we learned nothing from the last time when we sent pallets of cash. That is what feeds terrorism and enables them to continue their aggressive behavior in Africa, in Asia, certainly in the Middle East, but even off our coast. I mean, not far from Florida, we see how much Iran is expanding its influence and activities, in, especially in the newly elected leftist governments in South America. So it's very complicated. And I'm just talking, you know, from the time I have just some of the uh, factors that are involved in this. Uh, if, in fact, um, its perception is reality in the Middle East, as you described it, then an alliance or on paper with China is really significant. Um, that's number one. But I'm, I'm curious about the U.S. and Israeli reaction. Does the U.S. consider this a slap in the face? And was Israel, was Jerusalem caught off guard by the entire announcement? On the latter part, they say no. They say that they knew this was developing. I do not believe people knew. This is not a new thing. You know, they started this process in Oman and then in Iraq. The details were not worked out with China. They have been negotiated over the last two years. China moved in then, invited them, kept kept them for three days there. Xi, if you remember, the president, the head of the China visited uh, Saudi Arabia and had Raisi come to China, invited him. Uh, so th- this is a process that's been ongoing for, for a while. That they all knew, you know, that those discussions were right, going on. Right, but what disturbed me was that we were being convinced by the media that the other process was continuing in earnest at the same time. It, it, it seemed like the West, the U.S., Israel, whoever you want to put it to the Abraham Accords and Abraham Accord-like countries, it, it's, and that we spoke about it that day. It just seemed that, that that kept progressing on that track and that the other track just completely took everybody by surprise. Well, it went very quickly. I mean, it was just a couple of days. Remember, they came to, to, to China then and in a couple of days announced it because, as I said, everything had been cooked. And it was in everybody's interest, and they had these visits, et cetera. So this really was brewing for a long time, and then it quickly. Whether they were up to date, it did not appear that the United States knew that this was going to come down. And as I said, you know, there's different views about how much Israel knew. Slap in the face? knew that the exchanges. Slap in the face of the U.S. or not? I think it is a, a significant statement. But they feel, and they, I mean, I've heard this from the leaders now over a couple of years, you know, they feel the United States has been slapping them, right. even though, you know, they, they try to cover over after Khashoggi and some other things, but they still feel that they've been slighted and that the, um, uh, you know, that they wanted to demonstrate that they have alternatives. Right. It's, it's not a financial deal, yeah. you know, they, but remember, remember that China is the number one purchaser from both Saudi Arabia and Iran of oil. Right. And therefore is in a unique position. Bottom line, and I'm shocked more columnists haven't written this, 
Bottom line, not much mileage from the Biden trip to Saudi Arabia. Agreed? Well, the fist bump got a lot of mileage, but the... Uh, <laughs> the memes got a lot of mileage. Yeah, but there wasn't the kind of follow-up, and, there, and it didn't undo the perception. And they say that when we were under attack, the United States didn't respond, and that the messages they keep getting, they feel, despite the fact that you had, you know, Juniper Oak, you had all these other joint exercises that CENTCOM, I think, has done a, a very good job trying to, to pull things together. One of the disturbing aspects is that you see Qatar emerging in again and playing a key role and will be accepted, despite the fact that they continue to fund, including in the United States, anti-Semitic, anti-Israel activities, that they continue to have Al Jazeera, which is such a negative force. They continue to support terrorist operations and Muslim Brotherhood uh, stuff. Again, another one of the various ramifications of this that, uh, unless there's a really knowledgeable analyst, they don't even raise these issues. Oh, yes. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Round the world web and AlchemSegal.com on the AlchemSegal Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Uh, reminder, our friends at Jewish World Review, phenomenal resource for thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to print out before Shabbos and to enjoy and to learn from during your Shabbos Agadol and weekend, check out jewishworldreview.com. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman, conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations. What can you tell us about the Iranian attempt to carry out a terror attack on Greek Jewish sites? Well, the, uh, we don't have all of the, the information. We know that there were arrests. We know that this is one of the many plots in Europe today by Iranian-backed uh, terrorists, uh, and whether it's uh, organizations or just uh, offshoots. But Iran has been trying this in France, Germany, England, in some cases successfully. Uh, There were arrests in Germany as well recently of Iranian-backed terrorists. It it tells you what their real goal is. It's not just the destruction of Israel. It's to kill Jews. And to to, uh, when they can't respond and stand up militarily to what they feel are assaults, they, they go after vulnerable populations of Jews. Uh, I think people should take this very seriously when they're traveling to Europe and elsewhere uh, to keep it in mind, especially with the upcoming Yonta. The, uh, it, it tells you also the nature of, of Iran's uh, hatred and, uh, and act, uh, involvements. It's, it should, should be subject to many more sanctions. There have been some sanctions uh, imposed. The, even the idea that we would negotiate with them on the JCPOA or, or enter it today, I think is is uh, inexplicable, uh, let alone the idea that we would release any money, whether we or indirectly we, through the release of the funds that are being held in South Korea, uh, about six or seven billion dollars of Iranian funds. Uh, it, it will only feed this monster. They're not going to feed the people. The economy is in total ruins. The people are, are living on nothing, literally. And the, uh, the, the currency devalued another 25% in the last month. And it was hard to see that because we didn't think it could devalue any more than it has. And it's, there's, um, you know, it's a time when we should be leveraging it. And instead, they're selling uh, stuff to Russia. They're selling Russian oil. They're bypassing the sanctions. Their income from oil has gone up. 
and it's the the leadership that benefits, not the people. Yeah. So the Iran is in a, a you know is in a vulnerable position, and we should not do anything that prompts up this government. Yeah, they're in a vulnerable position and not suffering at all because of their vulnerability. They have countries ready to make deals with them and certainly uh, establish diplomatic relations. They're at the center of whatever Russian progress is going to be in that region. Obviously, they're now at the center of Chinese progress in that region. It's unbelievable that a country like this is so committed to terror, not just Jews. I'm sure they have commitments for other uh, sites as well uh, to carry out terror attacks. It's amazing how uh, how all of that is ignored by different world powers. It, it's ignored, and, and it's at their peril that a lot of the European countries now say, well, we should pay more attention to it because, you know, they're operating against us and on our turf, and that they are uh, going after, uh, you know, uh, European countries. They also do it at the behest of their new patron, Russia, who, with whom they're selling, you know, huge quantities of ammunition to, to the Ukraine. As you know, that Russians are sending captured equipment back to Iran, giving it to Iran to to reverse engineer, uh, and, uh, and just as the United States captured Iranian weapons going to the Houthis and are saying they're going to send it to to the Ukrainian forces, but the but you're you're absolutely right. There is a, a neglect. It's not benign. It's it's a very malign neglect that for which we will pay a heavy price. Iran's activities in Syria are going on increasingly. Uh, because Russia withdraws so that they, they ship their own anti-aircraft system there and activated it. They put missiles. They, they are sending in through the humanitarian aid convoys for the victims of the earthquake in, in Syria. Uh, they're sending in weapons through that. And for Israel, it's much harder, you know, when you have 20 trucks to pick out the ones that have the, the weapons. And the so all of this paints a picture of, of Iran taking advantage of it. I just saw some African leaders, and they're talking about Iran's nefarious activities, and it doesn't take a lot of money to get Hezbollah and others to activate. And their militias, Iran-backed militias, are uh, active in, in Syria. Israel continues to take out arms depot, arms caches that are being built up for them, for Hezbollah and for the Iranian militias in Syria. Uh, for use against uh, Israel in the future. Are the are, are the African leaders you've met with frustrated with the um, with, with with the way the United States has reacted toward Iran? Uh, would they like to see the United States be a little bit tougher when it comes to the Iranians? They would like to see us remove the ability of Iran to continue what it's doing. By the way, they feel the same thing about China. China has a scorcher policy. They go into these countries. They give aid with very high interest rates where the countries can't meet the debt payment. Then they take over critical infrastructure, facilities, ports. They did it in Sri Lanka. They're doing it with the Road and Belt Initiative, which until now scared some of the countries like Saudi Arabia and others because they saw how China is extending its sphere of influence, getting itself established in the, in the Gulf was a, a prime target and in the Middle East. As you know, they try to take over the ports in Israel too. They tried to... Uh, have increased trade. They have delegations in Israel regularly taking, trying to buy high tech and, and other things. And, you know, they're very aggressive. They, and now they've been given, uh, you know, a golden path, so to speak, by virtue of what, what has happened in the last few weeks. But their activities continue to, to expand and to grow their, uh, their Belt and Road uh, initiative. 
it's funny. I always thought that was a good thing, as I saw, you know, the the Chinese interest in Jewish studies, as how the Chinese interest in Jewish companies, the Chinese interest in the, in the ports, as you mentioned, etc. I always thought that was a good thing, and certainly good for Israel to get that kind of attention. But in the, in the long run, it's just part of a much bigger plan uh, from the Chinese government, at least the way you're describing it. And what they do is that they get critical infrastructure; they take control of it, and yeah. therefore, you know, the six fleets said they won't fly, they won't go out of Haifa if. In fact, the uh, Chinese control it, and, and Israel backed out of the deal with China buying, you know, they have Chinese front companies that come in and buy it. But Dubai World Ports, you know, buys in a lot of places. And now, you know, Dubai is in better standing. But in the right. past, we had opposed them because a port is a very important control factor and has a lot of security implications aside from the commercial and strategic uh, significance of, of having bases of operation. They're all looking to, to build up their presence. The Russians still want to do it. They, they don't have the resources right now. They're tapped. Ukraine is a, is a big drain on them. Uh, what will happen there also, we didn't discuss the implications yeah. of all of that uh, as well, so but that's true. another chapter. Yeah, so true. I don't even know. Nobody knows what to think about it anymore as that war continues. All right, a couple of things before... We get to Rabbi Yudin. Uh, a couple of things I must ask you. Uh, Israel's enemies, um, they were watching this entire process here in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, etc., watching the country go through this entire conflict. I'm referring, of course, to, do, to judicial reform. Um, anything significant uh, about the fact that the enemies looked on, you know, with great glee that Israel was going through this? Is it any skin off Israel's nose, so to speak, that the world was watching as all this was going on? Yes. If you, if it impacts commercial deals, if it gives projects the image of instability, if it uh, sees money draining out or investors not coming in, then that has implications, certainly security implications. I don't know why they talk about it all the time and keep saying that our security, you know, we're threatened and we don't have the ability and we're because of some of the actions of preservers and others. I mean, that's really feeding the enemy. And we saw from Lebanon how they've tested it, you know, with the attempted infiltrations. And thank God they've continued and they have to give military credit and that the Mossad you know, how many events they, they have prevented attacks and, and other things and infiltrations, et cetera. Right. Right. Uh, but I, I heard from one key Arab leader, not an enemy, that um, uh, he said to me privately, he said he's concerned about Israel's stability. Well, when, what, was, what Israel sold was that it was the stable corner in the region. That right. It was the country that you could look to, you know, as they call it, the permanent aircraft carrier. And if they get the image that, Israel is somehow unstable, uh, then you're going to see others take advantage. I think a lot of the groups within the Palestinian area who are focused themselves on their internal conflicts but will we'll ultimately see this as a vulnerability. Maybe that's another so, good yes. reason why, why I, BB put it on pause. Maybe that's another good benefit of the pause, frankly. Well, I certainly think it's one of the considerations yeah. and why the Minister of Defense took the stand that he did Right. I mean, he's not a radical guy, uh, extremist who, who would have moved uh, in the way that he did. But I think he genuinely felt what the implications were. So many of the countries look at it. Some, I will tell you that the people in a lot of the countries are encouraged. They say, look what happens in Israel. Look at right. these demonstrations. Look how people have the right to speak out. Right. So it's a reaffirmation of democracy yeah. if it was be played right. The problem is that we're fighting each other and not thinking about the larger picture. 
Right, two very good points. Uh, finally, Malcolm, and, and look, I and this audience certainly respect the fact that we're talking about people you have to work with every day. So if you have to temper your remarks, no criticism whatsoever. But, but we have to say something. It, I believe it was outrageous what the President of the United States said this week about a potential visit by Prime Minister Netanyahu. I understand the position of Washington. They've made it very clear about what they think of judicial reform and which side is right and which side is wrong. But to go to that extreme, to actually consider publicly not having the Prime Minister of Israel in Washington, I thought was inappropriate. Your reaction? So, you know, the president was quote, it wasn't a prepared statement. It was a response to some things that have been said in Jerusalem where the implication was that this wasn't nothing. I think it was inappropriate to say it. He should say, we, you know, we always welcome our friends and we will... Uh, could send a positive message. He is angry uh, at Netanyahu over some things. Uh, there are some tensions, but I think overall the relationship will will be back to being strong. You have a strong support in Congress, although you have members of Congress who are exploiting this and calling on the president, Democratic members who are pressing the president to be more forceful in going after Netanyahu and after about the demonstrations. And I think that that was reflected as, as the president is known often in these off-the-cup uh, remarks, and then the administration uh, followed up. Right. It may be because they, they didn't want the message that he was, you know, an invitation been extended, but th- there have been talks about a visit, and I know that, that there are planned visits uh, to, to Washington in the offing. Uh, whether, I, I, and I can't believe that the president wouldn't receive somebody he's known for more than 40 years, I, as I said, I think the, the intervention in the domestic affairs publicly rather than privately was uh, unfortunate and, and um, you know, a, a, again, a reflection of some of the pressure that uh, they come on from, come on from inter- internal sources and congressional sources. And, uh, um, you know, the, it's detrimental to the long-term interests of the, of the relationship. Yeah. Can't um, can't disagree with any of that. Hundred percent true, um, Malcolm. I take this opportunity to wish you a chag kasher v'sameach. The next weekly update, please God, three weeks from today. Again, folks, mark your calendar. Three weeks from today, please God. And it's unusual, Malcolm, for our family to celebrate without you and your wonderful wife being with us and shepping nachas from our family. So this will be a bit unusual. They're going to be so far away during the simcha, but we uh, we certainly uh, look forward to the next one when we can participate together, please God. We, we look forward to the mutual nachas we derive from the families and seeing the traditions pass on from generation to generation. Uh, what, what's more unusual is that you're in Jerusalem than I'm here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, here but it's sort of a vacuum there. I, I, uh, it's a, such a wonderful time to be in Israel. It's weather-wise and otherwise. We won't ask you publicly if you keep one day or two days while you're there. But uh, whatever, <laughs> you get to enjoy it. And I hope you will go to the great synagogue, which anxiously looks forward to hosting you. Uh, as the president, I extend a, a very special invitation to you. We'll have a good seat for you. Uh, and, uh, and maybe you can get to Dom for the Ummah there if you press it enough. Wow, but, this uh, offer keeps getting better and better. <laughs> yeah, but that's at Marv. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matzah Shabbos, Marv. <laughs> well, exactly. as I told you, yesterday we had the pleasure of davening at the Great Synagogue. It may have been in the small base Medrash for Mincha, but we had the pleasure of being right. in that fabulous building. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a Chag Kosher Chag Kosher to you and to everyone, and good Shabbos, and I'll be in.
KJ to mark their 150th anniversary. I'll be speaking there tonight, tomorrow, and uh, look forward to seeing many friends there. 150, that means 1870s. That's right. Well, please send our best to Rabbi Lookstein. I certainly will. Mal- oh, he'll be there, Pesach. And he will, we they, will bring, see- they bring big groups. Yes, there. we will please and God see him here. Yeah, we will please God right. see him here over Pesach as he's done so many years since uh, since tourism went down in that era many, many years ago. Everybody looks he made the commitment to be here with his congregants every Pesach. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful with, And with Mayor Weingarten, Mayor, arranged it. Yes. When I started in the, in the tough years doing it to the Father, they yes. went, but it was Mayor who went with them and helped the work. And if you're mentioning Mayor of Blessed Memory, who I've thought of a thousand times during this trip already for a million different reasons, uh, we should mention Sandy Eisenstadt as well. He was one of the backbones of that whole Absolutely. journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, and Malcolm. I introduced him to Mayor. That's correct. <laughs> Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And the Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents, major American Jewish organizations with us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM. Next weekly update, please, God, the 21st, three weeks from today, right here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning. Nachum, good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Wow, what a treat this Shabbos is. The Shabbos Parsha Sav but it's Shabbos, Shabbos HaGadol, and that in itself, we can talk about the uniqueness and specialty of both. Let's begin as we always do, that Parsha Sav contains 18 mitzvos, 9 positive mitzvos asay, and 9 restrictions, mitzvos los asay. Before, however, we get to Parsha Sav, this Shabbos has a special designation, Shabbos Agodo. Different reasons, I'm only going to give you two or three, and that is as follows. We know that the year that we left Mitzrayim, we left on a Thursday, just like this year. How do we know that? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe at the Sneh, the burning bush, that when you leave Mitzrayim, Ta'avdun, which our Chachomim understand to mean Ta'abdu binun, you will worship Hashem 50 days later, Alohorazeh, by Har Sinai. So now, 50 days later is a Shabbos. We received the Torah on Shabbos. We say every Shabbos morning, Yismach Moshe, the Matnas Chelko. Moshe brought down the Luchos to us on a Shabbos. So, if the 15th of Nisan was a Shabbos, when was the 10th of Nisan? It was on, excuse me, if the 15th was on a Thursday, which is when we left, then when was the 10th of Nisan? It was on a Shabbos. So it was the 10th of Nisan that we designated the Korban Pesach in Mitzrayim. One of the very basic miracles that happened on that day is the Egyptians said, what are you doing? What are you doing with our God? They worshipped the lamb. They worshipped the sheep. And we said to the Egyptians, we are going to slaughter 
your God. And they were powerless to retaliate. So this miracle took place on Shabbos. Second of all, Shabbos HaGadol, you could imagine, Moshe told Mitzrayim, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that there would be nine plagues. The first two, out of Ditzach, Adash, and through Choshech, there was warning. The last of the three sums were not, but Moshe warned that there would be Makas Pachoros. So when the firstborn of Egypt heard and they saw that Moshe's track record had been perfect, whatever he predicted came about, ay, ay, ay. they were afraid. So they protested and there was a civil war between the firstborn of Egypt who wanted to free the Jews, free the slaves, and Paro, and obviously his army, who resisted. So there was a civil war between them, as we say in Halil HaGodol, which we will be saying as well, after Halil HaMitzri, the second half of the Halil, after the meal, the Maki Mitzrayim Biv Choreim, which Chazal understand to mean through the Egyptians. Okay, there's a lot more, but I must move on. Let's tie in very quickly Pasha Sav with the forthcoming Yom Tov of Pesach, and that is as follows. The Pasha speaks about, continues from last week with various korbonos, and the Torah tells us that if a klicheres if an earthenware dish absorbed the uh, flavor of a carbon, there was no way of kashering that dish. The Torah says in Pasha Sav, Perig Vav, Pasuk 21, If a klicheres was cooked in it or absorbed, the taste of the carbon it had to be broken. You couldn't take it home and eat it with your meat at home. I have to tell you on a personal note, over 40 years ago, my first trip to Eretz Yisrael, I was zochen to go to Shiloh, where the Mishkan had been for 369 years, and you were still at that time able to collect pieces of pottery because when they finished eating the Korban Pesach, A, they didn't have disposable plates like we do, and it wouldn't be as Bekovedik. So what did they do? They ate in a earthenware dish, and they broke it afterwards. And you were still able to collect pieces of pottery in Shiloh then. So we have some of the laws of kashering, as we do before Pesach, when needed. But the Pesach continues that in Bechlin Choshes Bushola, if you have a metal kli, then Umorak Mishutaf Pamoyim, you can kasher it. Further, you have the Korban Shlom in more details, and then the Torah speaks of Imal Todo Yakrivenu, the Korban Todo. Now very quickly, there's a lot to talk about the Korban Todo, but just know, as the Gemara tells us in Brachos, 
Arba Tzrichim Lehodos, where we had a base of Migdash, four different individuals had to bring a thanksgiving offering, and it's easy to remember, based upon the acronym, V'chol HaChayim Yoducha Selah, all the Chayim, the Chola, the Yisurin, the Yam, the Midbar, those who were sick, number two, those who were in a dangerous situation, God forbid somebody is mugged, that kind of a situation. Number three, if a person passed through the Yam, or if a person passed through a Midbar, both of them being dangerous, each of these four persons have to bring a Korban Toda. Interestingly, says the Svas, Emes, and others, think about this, everybody. Bring this to your Seder table. You're not just having a Yom Tov meal when you eat at the Seder on Leil HaSeder, but you're also having a Thanksgiving dinner because Klal Yisrael at that time went through. There were many, many Cholim when we left Egypt. There were no hospitals in Egypt to take care of the slaves. And there were Yisurim. They were very dangerous. And we went through the Yam. And we went through the Midbar. So therefore, on this night, like we say later on in the Haggadah, Bechol Dor Vador, Chayev Adam, Liros Asatzmo, Ki'ilu, who, each and every one of us, were privileged to leave Mitzrayim. Therefore, we were in that state, we relive it on the night of the Pesach Seder, and therefore our meal is elevated to the status of a Su'udas Hodo'ah, not only a Su'udas Yom Tov, but a, a, a celebration of thanksgiving to Hashem. One of the reasons why it's called Shabbos HaGadol is because the Rav in each community, for each Pesach Knesset, gives a drasha, where first of all he reviews many of the laws of Pesach, and then to discuss a matter of emuna of halacha, which deal with the Seder. So I'd like to focus for a little while about Karpas. Kadesh Urchatz, good. We've made Kiddush. <clears throat> We've uh, washed our hands. And now, everybody knows the next thing we're going to do is we're going to take a vegetable and we're going to dip it in salt water and we're going to recite a bracha of Borei Priyadama. By the way, you're not to use a fork for karpas. It would be defeating the whole purpose of washing your hands. I can't go into this in detail now, but Chazal said that our hands have a status of shneos, the tumor. We were hands had a low degree of impurity with them. If you put your fingers, which you have to do, dipping, not with a fork, dipping with your fingers, today we are all tomei, we're going to impart tuma to the vegetable because the water is a conductor of tuma. So therefore, you wash your hands before you eat the karpas, and that way you are not giving the tuma from your fingers to the uh, vegetable. But now, here comes... There's another reason for karpas, and that is found in, to begin with, 
the Krovitz that was written by uh, Yosef Tuv Ilan for a, a poem which many, well I shouldn't say many, some Potekinesios say on Shabbos HaGadol and he goes through the um, Seder in his poetic form but listen to what he says the Lama Sha'ar Yerokos in Tchila why do we have karpas? Why do we take a vegetable? Listen carefully. Liftor chazeres shel mitzvah to free or to recite the bracha for the morrow later on. The bracha u'yilah. Really he's saying the following. We should make a bracha before we eat the morrow. And we're going to talk about why. Why should we really make a bracha before we eat the morrow? So there's a basic machlokes between Tosos, who says, you don't have to make a bracha before the moror. Why? Because it is considered dvorim habayim machmas hasuda. What does that mean? It's something which is an integral part of the meal. Tonight was on the menu, matzah's on the menu, we wish we'd had the korban pesach, Matzah's on the menu, and Morah's on the menu, because Matzah and Morah accompanied the <coughs> Paschal Lamb, so therefore, whatever is included in the meal, the Hamotzi, which we're going to make <coughs> later on, and after the Hamotzi, we eat the Matzah, we're going to eat the Morah, so we t- the, the Hamotzi will cover, listen carefully now, the Morah. So, whereas the Gemara in Sochim 114b says that the purpose of the Karpas is a Kera Dianuka, which means to give the children uh, an opportunity to ask, hey, what's going on? Heker, to make something different for the children. So that's one answer which everybody is familiar with as to why we have Karpas. But now, Rav Yosef Tuvelim is giving a much more profound, deeper explanation. Why? Because according to Rav Yosef Tuvelim, the moror is not on, quote, the menu. What does that mean? It means that when you make the hamotzi, the hamotzi does not satisfy the, quote, ceremonial food of moror. Because nobody eats moror by itself. And therefore, why am I eating is To remember, uh-huh, that Marus Chayeyem, the Egyptians, embittered our life. Okay. Well, what does that mean, okay? If you remember, everybody, let's go to the first night of Rosh Hashanah. Okay. You come home, you make Kiddush, you wash, you make Hamotzi, and then, uh-oh, we bring apple to the table, and we make a bracha, Bori Priyo eats on the apple. And then we dip it in honey and wish that Shalatova Masuka. Okay, but here's the key issue. Here's the key but. Why are you making a Bori Priyo eats? Come on. We don't, whatever is being served at the Seder, the first course, you're not going to make a bracha over it. You don't make a, a, a shahako over the chicken. It's included in the Hamotzi. So why isn't the apple included in the Hamotzi on Leo Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is because you're eating it 
because and only because it's a ceremonial food. Says Rabbi Yosef you've got to make, uh, you can't make, uh, one second, you've got to make a bracha hadama over the marah, because it's a ceremonial food. But, here's his big chiddush. You can't recite the Bore Priyadama right before you eat the Maror because that would result in Osin Mitzvos Chavilos Chavilos, which means to perform Mitzvos, literally uh, wholesale, right? To quote, give the impression that I'm making two brachos over one object, a form of showing I want to, I'm hurrying up to get rid of it, and that's what we don't want to do. So, for example, the Gemara tells us in Sota, okay, Ches <clears throat> that we don't administer Sota water to two women at one time, and we don't purify two Mitzrayim at one time, nor do we bore the ears of two every at once, okay? Why? Because we want to show that each one, each mitzvah, should be given its own individual importance, and therefore, we don't perform multiple mitzvahs, or let's say, for example, Baruch Hashem, twin boys, and both boys are having their bris at the same time. We don't bring in both boys at the same time. We bring in the older one, and then we bring in the next one, because each one is individual, and we don't want to give the impression we're in a hurry to get rid of both mitzvahs. Okay? Now, the Gemara in Psachim 102b presents another application of this principle, and that is you can't use the same cup of wine for two different mitzvahs, the mitzvah of Kiddush, and the mitzvah of Perkas HaMazon, or, listen carefully now, the, or, the idea is that we don't chosmin b'shtayim, which means that, as the Gebran Brachos 49a, which means that we don't piggyback on the same one bracha, two different themes. Okay, and so, therefore, What's going on here? Since we have, number one, alachilas moror, that we have to make a bracha on, because it's a separate pirkas ha-mitzvah, even though it's a drabonon, we make a bracha. And the bore pri if it was said right before you made the bracha of pirkas, Achilas Moror, if you said it before, you would have, uh-oh, two mitzvos, the two brachos being two mitzvos, and we don't have chavilos, chavilos by mitzvos. Now, listen carefully now. The, as, as we find in the Gemara, Psachim 115a, the other balei tosvos disagree with Rabbi Yosef Tuvelin, and they say that moror on this night is an integral part of the meal, so you don't even have to make the bar Dhamma at all. But, let's address Rabbi Yosef Tuvelin and ask him, says Tosvos, a basic question. Excuse me, as Tosvos, Rabbi Yosef Tuvelin, don't you 
make Kiddush every Friday night? And are you not reciting two brachos? And are you not first saying a berchas mitzvah? Excuse me, a berchas nehenin, which is a bracha that you recite before you eat or drink on the Bore Pregafen, and then you're going to make the bracha of the Kadesh Shabbos, which is a bracha of mitzvah. So you're doing exactly what you think and say you shouldn't do. How can you make Kiddush on Friday night? So there are several answers to this, and listen carefully. One answer is suggested by the Nitziv in his Agadah, Imre Shefer, when he talks about Motzi Matzah, and that's why, by the way, listen carefully, everybody. What do we do? We come to the table after we have broken by Yachatz, the middle matzah, a while back. And now I come to the table. I have two and a half matzos in front of me. I make the bracha of Hamotzi over the two and a half matzos. So that's over one cheftzah, object of mitzvah. And then I put down the bottom matzah, and I'm holding one and a half, which is a different entity. So I am not reciting two brachos over the same. The second bracha of Allah, matzah, is being, come on, recited over the one and a half. And therefore, I don't have the problem of chavilos, chavilos. Two different objects, two different brachos. So far, so good. Let's get back to Kiddush. Yosef Tuvelin, how do you answer that question? And the Litziv says, wow, something very interesting, which applies to this Friday night and every Friday night. And that is as follows. Keep this in mind. Says the Litziv that the bracha of the Bore Pri HaGofen in the Kiddush is not your usual Bore Pri HaGofen, which means the blessing of Birchas Nenin, a bracha you recite before you eat, this bracha of Bore Preagafen is an integral part of the Kiddush. What does that mean? That since Yayin is used as a celebratory drink, the Yayin is the factor that we use to praise Hashem, so it's given a upgrade from, quote, coach, which would be the regular use of a birkas nanin, a bracha over food, it's upgraded to business and maybe for even first class because it becomes a bracha of hodah, of thanksgiving, because that's what wine is used for, which is why I strongly urge everybody to drink wine on the night of the Pesach Seder, because we're giving Hodor, Thanksgiving to Hashem. If you can't drink four ounces of wine for each cup, or even two, because all you need is a majority of the cup, a little more than two, then mix it with grape juice, but use some wine. Ah, so according to the Nesiv, the wine is upgraded, and it's all one Birchas Hodor, because the Rambam writes that what is Kiddush by definition? Reciting praise and thanksgiving to Hashem. So since this is a bracha which is used for praise and thanksgiving, it becomes one entity. 
Or you can say that Yayin and Pas, as the Gemara teaches us in Brachos, is that which is Kvias, Kuvea, a Seuda. The Seuda is given a greater identity and purpose through having either bread, which is what we make Kiddush on, or wine, but nothing else. Havdalaf, I don't have wine. I can use beer or Hamar Medina. However, I can't use wine, excuse me, I can't use beer for Kiddush. Either or only challah during the year, matzah on Pesach, and or wine, which most of us use. If I don't, if I can't drink wine, I don't have wine, but all year long, I can make Kiddush over my challah, Pesach, over my matzah. Oh. So, another reason why the wine in Kiddush is different and says Rav Yosef Tuvelim, don't charge me of being inconsistent. I am consistent because the wine is serving the purpose, not only of the concept of a birkas hanenin. Once again, it's upgraded to become the koveya of the meal into a suudas Shabbos. Okay, so what emerges is that we have the karpas at the beginning of the meal we are satisfying the Bore Priyadoma and even though there might be a long time between this Bore Priyadoma and the eating of the Moror okay and you're going to say more than even 72 minutes Baruch Hashem with children grandchildren and all the Divrei Torah etc as long as you did not Get your hands tummy that bore priyadoma can continue until you eat the murder. Okay. So now having said that, I hope we have a better appreciation what Karpas is all about, not only a change for the children, for them to ask Manishtana how different is this night, but it's also to make us sensitive to the halachic principle of enosim mitzvos, chavilos, chavilos. We don't do mitzvos in a quote-unquote wholesale form. Now, what does that mean? It means that how do I look upon mitzvos? Are they a burden that I want to get rid of them, that I do them quickly? Let's get rid of this two at a time, etc. Or no, just the opposite. Mitzvahs are a privilege. Oh. So therefore, I just want to give a few ways in which, how do you show that the mitzvahs are a privilege? So we all daven every day and on Shabbos, and we recite the Psuke de Zimra, right? Starting with Baruch Shomar, ending with Yishtabach, how do I say it? Do I say it that I can't even follow how quickly I'm saying it? Or do I say it as the rabbis tell me to say it as if I am counting 50 or $100 bills? And believe me, you're going to count them a little slower because they are important to you. There's a chashivas to them. Let's be honest, everybody. Do we say Pesukah de Zimra the same way 
we count our money. That's one thing. Now, how would you dress and how would you feel if you had a meeting with Hashem himself? I was going to suggest the President of the United States, and I'm using the office, not even the individual, as my example. You would, number one, feel important that you're meeting with this one, and you would be totally focused. Should somebody else even walk into the room, one of his secretaries, okay, you wouldn't even dare look to see who they are, you would focus on your meeting with. When somebody walks into shul, the possibility that while you are saying Shmona Esrei, you're going to look around and think about that, impossible. It's a meeting, an appointment with God Himself. Okay, and finally, before you go to do a mitzvah, before you go into the hospital, it's wonderful that you are doing Bikrocholim. However, stop for a moment and do you and say to yourself, I am doing this to have the privilege of emulating Hashem. Right? As He, so too you. As He visits Avraham, we too have that privilege and obligation. And if we have that in our mind, we are upgrading our mitzvah. Nobody else has to hear you say it, but you know that you're not just doing a man to man, you're also doing at that same time a man to God. So as we close this shear, we remember Ashrenu Matuv Chalkenu, how privileged we are to have the night of the Pesach Seder, to relive the experience, the night of Emuna. The Zohar calls Matzah, Michlo, Dimeim Nusa, the bread of faith. Emir Hashem, as we finish this Seder with Lashon HaBab Yerushalayim, as we finish this Seder, with the songs, which means that the night of Pesach, of Ramavinu, defeated the four kings, who had defeated the five kings. But Hashem said that I've given you half the night for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and the second half, excuse me, half the night for the defeat of the four kings the second half of the night, Hashem promised Abraham for the future, so too, by Bahatsi Halayma, the best is yet to come. Shabbat Shalom to all.
It's Avram Freed with Shalom Aleichem. Candlelighting in New York, 659. Make sure you know when things start where you are on this Erev Shabbos HaGadol, Erev Shabbos Parshas Tzav. Time to take it Shabbos at JM in the AM. Special blessing on 
Sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Round the world of women, Alchem Sigal, I come on Alchem Sigal. We're going to go to the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing day and a fantastic week here in Jerusalem. Thanks so much for tuning in. Big thank you to all of you for the Mazel Tov wishes as we get into the uh, roof of Yoshua Siegel tomorrow and the wedding of Tamima Polachowski and Yoshua Siegel on Sunday, please God. Monday morning, someone, please God, will be hosting JM and the AM. Might be me, may not. We'll figure it out. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I say have a wonderful Shabbos and a great weekend. Enjoy Shabbos. I got all the rabbis out there. Please mention how important Israel is for the future of the Jewish people as you relive, recount, and review with the congregation everything having to do with the holiday of Pesach. Remember, it's a national holiday and one where it's very important to emphasize nationhood. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Till next week, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.